Welcome to Lamenting the Leafs, a podcast about everyone's favorite team from the center of the hockey universe and coming to you from beautiful Atlantic Canada, inside the Atlantic bubble. Uh, my name is Cam McEachern, and I'm joined by my good pals, Nick Richard and Keith Whipple. Fellas, we're doing it. How are we feeling? Feeling good, man. I'm excited that we're uh, we're finally getting this going. It's uh, it's been long overdue, long time coming. Yeah, this has been this has been an idea for a while, so it's it's fun to actually be clicking the record button. Yeah, we've been uh, working on it for a bit. Uh, it's been a busy few months, um, personally, professionally, but we've got news to discuss. Now, first off, we should kind of like establish ourselves a little bit. Folks will probably know Nick from the Leafs Nation. Um, what else can you tell us about your Leafs fandom, sir? Uh, well, like you said, uh, I've been at the Leafs Nation for a little while now, a few months. Uh, really happy to be part of the team there. It's a great group of writers. Uh, I think we've been doing a good job of uh, providing quality content on uh, everything Leafs in the last few months with, through all the uh, return to play and uh, going into the off season and through all the transactions in the early part of the year. Uh, so yeah, uh, been really enjoying my time there and uh, looking forward to continuing it. And you're doing some prospect work now too, right? Yeah, I just recently uh, signed on with uh, the Dauber Prospects uh, website. Um, uh, my main focus there right now is, uh, on the Detroit Red Wings prospect system and keeping that group up to date and providing updates for, uh, the Red Wings fans on all their, uh, fresh talent in the system. So yeah, it's been, uh, an exciting time for me, uh, getting more involved in the hockey world and trying to take a step into that, uh, world of scouting and talent evaluation as I continue my coverage of of the Leafs at uh, TLN. And I guess it's coming up on, what, almost three years now since you booted up uh, the group chat for which this podcast (laughs) is named. Uh, Lamenting the Leafs, because you were, like, texting all of us individually. You know, we've got a couple of other guys in the group aside from just the three of us. and uh, But Keith was was part of that group. And, you know, Keith... um, you know, we, we've kind of we've interacted through Twitter for a long time, but we've we've yeah. only really gotten to know each other here in the last few years and mostly through this this chat. And uh, like how, how far back are, are you in terms of your Leafs uh, experience? Like, obviously, we're we're all fully miserable here, but um, <laughs> what are your early memories? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I'm like a, a lifelong Leafs fan as, as long as I can remember, but my extremely online Leafs fandom probably started like, I don't know, like around the like Fanuf Kessel Jaguar kind of era when, when Twitter started to pop off, I was on like pension plan puppets and all that stuff and kind of got reading more and more. And that's what kind of drove me into this kind of world that I'm in right now in terms of knowing way too much about this hockey team. (laughs) And, uh, but yeah, definitely, you know, grew up dad's a Leafs fan born into it had no choice kind of thing and yeah and then uh met uh, i like you know through weird circumstances ended up in this this group, group chat <laughs> which we got four or five guys from the east coast that that are all no don't live anywhere near me on the east coast but uh couldn't be happier i just want to point out that the Jaguar era of the Leafs is such a sad fucking statement of a <laughs> Jaguar era. I have a Jaguar hey, jersey. He had two shutouts I remember to that. start his Leafs tenure. It, there was a glimmer of hope. I'm pretty sure he was traded for, like, the Leafs acquired him on my birthday. 
which I'm just currently, I'm looking up right now, but I feel like that stands out in my head for some reason. That sounds right. And actually. yeah, I was, I, I'm all, and, and again, I'm from St. John New Brunswick and Jaguar played here for like a few years as a member of the St. John Flames. So I had an added connection to him. So I, I look back on that acquisition fondly, but yeah, no, it was not fun afterwards. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't an era. Maybe it was <laughs> dark times. I mean, as much <laughs> yeah. of an era as it, it might be a fitting, you know, like the Christopher Stieg era or oh, yeah. the, you know, Joey Crab era. Oh God. Um, I mean, the Tim, the Tim Brent, one shift era yeah exactly that that was epic i'll never forget that shift man that, that that's how grim it's been yeah, for we Leafs remember fans. a penalty kill yeah tim brent like some no-name ahl tweener blocked a couple of shots on a penalty kill <laughs> seven or eight years ago. how i don't even know how long ago it was now but oh and man we still that, like yeah let's like build him a statue yeah yeah so we're five minutes in and we are discussing Tim Brent, just for anyone who needs to kind of get like a grip on our psyche as uh, longtime Leafs fans. Um, but, you know, we have news to get into and, and like it's been obviously a miserable existence as Leafs fans. But I have to say uh, something happened here in the last few days that uh, for me kind of like knocked off three years of just total indifference when it comes to the Leafs and it was uh, Jason Spezza calling to offer his number 19 to uh, newly signed Toronto Maple Leaf Joe Thornton and uh, I just I feel energized about this fellas uh, where are we on on Joe Thornton Nick where do you see um, the big guy fitting in with the Leafs first of all I, I just think it's going to be really cool to see Joe Thornton in a Leafs jersey that's the first thing that comes to mind. I mean, we're all hoping that he has something left in the tank. He, you know, last year wasn't uh, wasn't a great year for him, but uh, the, the team he was on w- was pretty dismal. He didn't have a lot of help there. The, the whole team had a pretty bad year. Uh, if he, this guy's a Hall of Famer. We, we've dreamt of having a guy like Thornton come home to play for the Leafs for a long time. And, you know, m- maybe it's a little later than everyone would have hoped but uh it's still pretty cool that he's here and uh yeah i'm really looking forward to seeing him on the ice in blue and white keith what did uh what were your thoughts when you heard like we obviously this was talked about in in the run-up and usually you know you you hear this and you get excited and then the guy signs elsewhere but this time joe thornton is coming back to ontario um you know what do you see his role being i guess in, in in with the leafs yeah, that's the part that I haven't necessarily figured out yet or, or you know, have because like Nick said, it's just exciting that he's on the team. I, like, I haven't really I mean, looking at what what he did last year and the year before, he, he can still play. He's not a seven minute a night fourth line player. I don't think, no. you know, he's he's. Six, you know, 16 minutes of ice time in the last couple of years. I think it's it's feasible that he could play on the third line. But I mean, being 39 years old a couple of years ago and being 41 years old is a difference. Um, but I, I think I saw a tweet that I, I can't remember who it was, but it basically the gist of the tweet is anybody, anybody who's not excited by Thornton being a leaf is a fucking nerd. <laughs> and I, that's essentially where I'm at with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I agree a hundred percent. You know, I, I love this signing. I love Joe Thornton. Like I, I don't know many who don't, uh, how could you not? And I don't think, yeah. And I don't think you could make a better ad from a leadership perspective, like not because, you know, he's old or he's going to take the young guys under his wing or whatever other bullshit. But, you know, he, he seems like the kind of guy who puts you at ease. Like, you know what I mean? He, he would genuinely change the dynamic of the room immediately. Yeah. And that might also sound bullshitty, but he just seems like a guy who uh, it, it just puts you, you know, if you're Matthews or Marin or Nylander, these young guys, and obviously pressure starting to build here with, with some of these first round disappointments. Um, like th- this seems like a guy who just loves the game so much and would just uh, take some of the pressure off. Yeah, and, and I think I think one of the things that like I initially thought of was how Dubas had these this checklist of things that he had to, to do this offseason, and one of them was you know address kind of the the the, the grittiness or the or the hard to play against thing. And Thornton's not necessarily like that's not him necessarily, but it's more along the lines of those kind of like character guys it's the attitude you know it's like cam said he's gonna lighten up the it's just a a general you know everyone that you hear talk about playing with joe thornton that they just talk about what a great guy he is to be around how big of an impact he's had on them in their careers just you know everyone talks about how funny he is to be around how, how great he is in the room like why wouldn't you want that on this roster yeah exactly and 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 I would imagine that these young guys, knowing that the, the amount of pressure that there is in Toronto and the first round exits, like you mentioned, like that's got to be tough, right? So having a guy that can come in and, and you know just lighten the mood. But I was I, like, the thing was is is yeah, Dubas went out, did these these things that they you know everybody said he needed to do, and now the narrative is switched from not good job, Kyle, you went out and did what you said you were going to do and what everybody wanted you to do. It's now, is this not an indictment on the current leadership <laughs> yeah, that, that you, you know, uh, that you needed to go get Joe Thornton and Wayne Simmons. But I don't know. I'm just, I'm just excited. Like you said, to see him play on the Leafs. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I wanted to talk about that narrative. Like it, it seems so strange to me. I mean, to me, I always thought of this in, in the last few years. Like I, I was a guy a number of years ago when, you know, fancy stats were coming out and it's like load up on skill, load up on skill. And I still believe that. But, um, you know, I, I think that Kyle Dubas has always been a guy who has had time for, you know, the the rough and tumble side of the game, but he understands that it's a lot harder to get the skill and load up on the skill. And then you can worry about adding those pieces once you know what you have in place. Fill in around the margins. Yeah. Well, you just yeah. have to, you don't have to look back very far. Look back a couple weeks ago to the draft and I'm sure we, we all saw the Toronto or the many Leafs fans pining for the Leafs to select a, a Braden Schneider because they needed, yeah. you know, a, a big, tough physical defenseman. It's just, it's so silly because you, you think back, the last two first round picks we've made were defensemen in Timothy Lilligren and Rasmus Sandin. It's been two and three years respectively for those guys. I think they're still just knocking on the door of, you know, getting a full-time NHL opportunity. So, what the Leafs did rather than drafting for need in that spot, they went out and they grabbed who they had as the most talented player on their board in Rodion Amirov. And instead of filling that hole on defense with an 18 year old kid, yeah. they spent a million dollars on a guy like Zach Bogosian who has done it, just did it on a Stanley cup champion. 
and you, you don't have to wait and hope that an 18 year old kid is going to bring that element to your blue line that you were missing yeah exactly it shows that his his philosophy on building a team hasn't changed yeah like yeah you need to go out and find some guys that are you know a little mean but that doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to start drafting five goons every draft. No, you his, don't it, go it, for it, those guys in the draft. You know. and, and I mean, the whole narrative I've always thought is silly anyway, because like the Marley's just re-signed Rich Clune. He was brought in yeah. under Kyle Dubas. You look at what that guy does for the organization. Most of it doesn't come on the ice. And when he is on the ice, he's one of the meanest and toughest guys out there every time and, and you know Kyle Dubas tried to turn Mason Marchman into an NHL player he went out of his way to acquire Kyle Clifford in the deal uh, with Jack Campbell tried to retain his services he brought it he paid the price to bring in Jake Muzzin and paid a bigger price to retain him as a, a core piece on the blue line yeah. I, 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 the whole narrative that Dubas has never cared about that element in his lineup perhaps it's been a little ignored or undervalued at times, but the, the narrative that he doesn't care about it at all is, is yeah, silly. Has it been undervalued or has it just not presented himself? He's not going to trade Nylander for, for toughness. Like it, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily think that it was like a, a conscious decision to add guys that were, that didn't have that aspect of their game. He was just adding skill and it didn't happen to fall in place. And now that he had the opportunity to, he's identified his core, they're locked up on long-term deals. Now you start to fill in around, around the margins and, and actually, add those elements that you were missing Yeah, different puzzle pieces like just a different mix like like cam how many times did we talk about it last year like just like the mix didn't seem right you're trying to put together the the pairings on the blue line and just you know especially with the bodies that were missing at various points of the season uh, when riley and muzzin are both out and then you know yeah you, you had cc was out too it they're just there wasn't the right mix to be able to put together uh, a formidable defensive unit to, to stay in those games down the stretch. Yeah, and you know I liked the uh, the the strategy of of kind of loading up on a, a lot of you know the the same type of player and trying to have a blue line that's just you know really mobile, moves the puck well, transitions the puck uh, up the ice, and and can defend the rush and. And it just, you know, it hasn't worked out. You, you, it seems like you do need that, that heavy element a, a little bit. And, you know, I was, I was a fan of like running out guys like Connor Carrick in the, you know, the third uh, defense pair, like on your, on your right side and, and just try to try to beat them with skill up and down the lineup. But, uh, you know, you, you do need to be able to defend that, uh, uh, that size and to have that, that element on your, on your blue line. And it, it seems like, uh, you know, they're, they're moving towards that, but you know, that's also not something that you want to go out and get too early right because like you go out and you try to please the critics three seasons ago by adding some sandpaper on the blue line or some you know some kind of a a big physical presence and maybe that guy's out of the league by the time you know this season rolls around right hello carl alsner yeah yeah exactly And, and you know, on, on the team building side, like you mentioned it, Nick, the draft, like it, it's funny how the, the narrative can just kind of flip flop to be whatever makes glasses man look bad. Right. Like <laughs> yeah. uh, like you've got, um, you know, this this strategy that people were complaining about 
and then just a few days later, it's like, okay, Dubas learned his lesson from the playoffs, and now he's now he's getting big and tough. But he yeah. he wasn't doing that in the draft just days earlier. So you know, it's almost like this was the plan all along. As crazy as that might be to uh, to think about, but um, you know, we want to move on to a couple of these other um, additions. Thornton, obviously, the the most recent one, and and you know, an exciting one, and. You know, between that signing and I don't know if you guys saw about this uh, New Yorker Zoom call story, but it's a big week for getting your cock out and stroking it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But we, we want to move on to um, some of the other additions. Wayne Simmons being uh, another big one up front. But first, uh, TJ Brody is kind of, you know, ended up being the big fish, I guess you would say. Petrangelo was the guy that a lot of folks uh, were hoping they would target. That was probably always kind of uh, going to be tough to swing given the, the salary and everything else. But, um, you know, TJ Brody, this is a really, really interesting ad, and I, I think that we're all uh, pretty pumped about it. You know, the, the game is played in transition. That's where this guy excels. Um, you know, Nick, what do you what do you see uh, from this guy moving forward? Where do you where do you see TJ Brody fitting in? Like, is it a given that he's starting with Morgan Riley, as we all kind of think, or um, do you see him maybe fitting better with Jake Muzzin? Well. Uh, it's it's really interesting. Like you said, um, Petrangelo was, was never really a realist. Like you, we've seen how much salary they've had to ship around to, to, to make. We all we all did the armchair <laughs> yeah, Everyone w- played around <laughs> on cap friendly, trying to make it work. It, it was just never realistic. The the next best option, and, and as far as realistic ones, the best option for what the Leafs needed to add to their blue line was TJ Brody and they landed him. So, and not at an, at an exorbitant cost or anything like that. So it, it's hard to be upset about that move. I think it's, it's a really exciting move. Um, he, he reminds me a lot of like a future Travis Dermott. I, I, I was just about, I, I swear to God, I was just about to say, is he who you hope Travis Dermott turns into? Absolutely. And you can see a, a yeah. lot of like the same traits. Like Brody is a really strong defender. He's not like a super physical guy. He could, he moves the puck well, but he, he skates really well and he's elusive, like retrieve on puck retrievals. You know, he can beat that first four checker, get the pass up out of the zone. We've watched Dermott do that. You know, it, obviously in a in a lesser role than what Brody has done it in um but yeah I, I think he he fits the the way that Kyle Dubas wants his uh blue line to play you know he he can play a tight gap and he, like you you alluded to he's just a very strong transitional defender and uh yeah yeah I, I think as to where he fits you know it's easy to pencil him in beside Morgan Riley just because the thing has always been we need to get a partner for Morgan Riley but if you if you look at it we talked about this before uh before we were recording we talked about the the fit whether he's better alongside Muzzin or Riley and um you, you know you look at Brody's success in Calgary the last couple of years he's been really good alongside Mark Giordano and I don't know if I'm looking at it to me, stylistically, Jake Muzzin is more similar to Giordano than Morgan Riley is. I mean, take that for what you will. It, it, 
doesn't re- it might not mean a lot, but I just think it's interesting, and I I don't think it's absolutely carved in stone that Brody's going to be alongside Riley. Yeah, I think that you know I think this has been this has been mentioned before, but late in the game, one goal game, two goal game, you're going to see those guys together. I think. But, yeah, well, we've we've seen Ke- sorry to cut you off, but no, we've okay. seen Keith we've seen Keith like do that in game yeah. last year. He's not afraid times? to get out the blender at all. No, no, he, he his situational matchups, situational combinations, and and lines and defensive pairings. Uh, that's something that I really like about his coaching, uh, and yeah, I, I think that's what's probably more likely to happen with Brody. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think he was likely second on everybody's list. Um, yeah. uh, you know, but I, I think it like Nick, you mentioned earlier about before we were on, but about kind of the, that quote from Dubas about nothing, you know, there hasn't been enough success that anybody is owed a, a spot on the team. But I think that that likely, if you look at Morgan Riley and what, who he's had to play with in his career, he's owed a chance at <laughs> yeah. TJ yeah. Brody and, and maybe it doesn't work out. And then how long do you give that a chance? And, and if it doesn't work out and you put him and Muzzin together full time, then who's playing with Riley? So yeah. I think you got to give it a shot because I think that Muzzin is going like Muzzin made Jake or uh, Justin Hall look like uh, a legitimate top four defenseman. And for most of last year, he probably yeah. isn't. So who, you know, he could prop up somebody else. Um, whereas I think Riley needs um, something a little more steady beside him. So I think that's where yeah. he starts. I have no idea if that's where he ends up those are all uh really fair points i don't know what what you've envisioned on the blue line cam but like where do you see like do you think it's a given that hall starts in the top four too well i mean i think the keith makes a good point there on on riley the one that i hadn't thought a ton about like i i I do agree that maybe brody might fit slightly better with muzzin but uh, after his history of partners in toronto like keith will just get a, a big steaming dump on his doorstep if he <laughs> yeah. doesn't put yeah. brody out yeah. there with riley to start Absolutely. so yeah and i do agree with um, what what keith just mentioned about maybe muzzin is more capable of propping up another partner in in the role that he's being asked to play than riley might be able to uh, in his role yeah or maybe that propping up is a young left-handed defenseman who's going to be playing the right side for the first for the first full <laughs> draft. I mean, like i think dermot makes a lot of sense with muzzin well yeah well you like you talked about muzzin making hall look like a top four defenseman like i don't know how anyone could have been watching the leafs over the last number of years and think in any way that Justin Hall has more talent or upside than Travis Dermott. So like that would just obviously lead me to believe that Travis Dermott probably would look all right alongside Jake Muzzin too. Yeah. And you know, Hall is, is a guy, I, I always thought that signing was a little bit of a weird one. Cause he, he just seems like a guy who, you know, on a really strong blue line comes in as like the number seven guy to start. Um, yeah. So, I mean, we'll, we'll see where they end up kind of doling that out. Obviously, uh, they're going to have to, um, you know, Dermot is is in a tough contract situation. So, uh, like, that might just lead to him, um, you know, sitting out a little bit to start before they ultimately kind of work him back in, um, try to convince him, I don't know, that he's, he's still got something to earn because I, I just don't see how you could uh, – uh, 
you know, roll him out behind Justin Hall in the depth chart right now. I, I, I mean, I, I know that it's about winning now, but I, I still think that uh, you kind of you, you you live with some of the um, you know the hiccups from Dermot because of what he can do. You got to have an eye to the future, right? Yeah, exactly. You can't you can't you can't only worry about today. I know they're in a, a supposed window, but you have to still be good. You have to still be good in a few years. Yeah. And, and what's the, the, the real difference that you're going to see worst case scenario, how much worse is Travis Dermott going to fare in yeah. that role than Justin Hall? I, I mean, I don't think it's a lot. I know, I know that we're talking about kind of the UFAs right now, but I, and I guess technically he is, but where's everybody at on Lettinen? Because I, I think at this point, if you're still playing the cool card that you're that you're not you know you're not excited about him and he's just another KHL defenseman coming, I think you're lying to yourself. I think you should be excited about him, but I mean I also understand that Zaitsev came over and you know Ozagana like who and Ozagana. I'm gonna be like completely honest. I forgot he existed. I saw, <laughs> saw his name not that long ago. Like I, I like and it didn't even register right away, and I only remembered it because of that overdrive bit because he wore ninety two and he was like oh Doganoff. <laughs> and that's what like <laughs> like kicked the cobwebs out. But I, I don't think that I don't think you necessarily think he's going to come over and and you know dominate. But I think he's yeah, I don't know. I, I think you're I think you're lying to yourself if you're still trying to say like that you know don't get too excited about him. I think I think Yeah, I mean I, I've seen I've seen a little bit like I haven't seen a lot of of film. A lot of you know what I have seen is just stuff inside the offensive zone. Nick, I, I yeah, feel you, right. you've probably got a bit of a better sense on that. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, he defends well enough over there. I mean he's he's played on he was the defenseman of the year in the KHL last year. I mean you you don't get that for being a horrible defender and just piling up a bunch of points. I mean, we have... Yeah, Zaitsev and Ozaganov didn't win. That. Yeah, but I mean, we're we're talking about, you know, penciling in an undrafted uh, European free agent. Like, we did this last year with Mikheyev. I, I don't know, like, before last season, where did you guys have Mikheyev penciled in going in camp? Like, I don't think too many people had him... You know, I think a third line projection was probably pretty je- generous. Certainly not top six. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So like, he's also very much the exception to the rule. Yeah. As far as uh, European free agents working out, I mean, if, of course you've got like a guy like Panarin, but he's like the well, gold standard, though. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're talking about like you know, most cases, a lot of these guys come over, they they toil in a depth role for a short while. And then they're gone like a fart in the wind, like Igor Ozhiganov. Like. Which is kind of what I've made myself kind of come to with Barabanov, which is probably unfair because if he was more hyped than Letnin when they signed him. But in my head, I've just kind of tempered those expectations on him to be like, yeah, he might not even play 25 games this year. But, yeah, but it's it's like how high can you pencil it like responsibly pencil these guys into your lineup without like really knowing a ton about them? Yeah. Yeah, who, none of us are watching KHL. Like we're we're all seeing. I mean, I don't want to speak for you guys, but we're all seeing the same clips on Twitter and stuff. Like we don't really know what these guys yeah. bring. Just to, to jump back into um, some of the UFA chat, Wayne Simmons. Um, you know, I think we were all pretty excited by that on day one. Um, you know, I, I don't think anyone's expecting big production out of him at this point. Um, where are you on that, Keith? I'm excited about Wayne Simmons. I so. 
I have like a. Uh, I've been <laughs> I've been watching him a lot because one of my good friends is a Flyers fan, and which you guys have all met. I feel like Leo's going to be like a recurring character that nobody actually ever hears from. <laughs> Shouts to Leo. Yeah. Um, but no, I love Wayne Simmons. I I mean, again, back to that that concept of like skill first and, and we're gonna we're, we don't need to worry about toughness and all that because we're just gonna skate away and we're gonna have the puck all the time so it's not gonna matter that, that we, may, we may not be strong on defense or that that was all fun to say and everything but we all kind of missed i think that element in the back of our, of our head i i want to see a guy stick up for his teammates i want to see a guy throw a big hit like we we had it with naz and like that shift yeah. in washington like i you know, like that, nobody's going to forget that. And I think that's an element of the game that it's not that it's going away. I just think that there's, there's just fewer guys that do that. And, and he still does. And I, I, I you just got to hope that he's not what you saw in Buffalo and New Jersey. Um, but I think even if he, like I, Leo, again, he asked me um, kind of what, what do you need out of, out of Simmons to justify this contract? And I was like, I don't know, like four fights and 25 points. Like he's making, he's not making that much money. Like I, I, I don't, we don't need to see 2012 Wayne Simmons, but I think he's got more to give. And he's talking about how, you know, typical like best shape of his life comments that you hear when, when these types of things yeah. happen. But I mean, I, I'm excited for him. I, I don't know where he fits in. Um, I think when he was signed, I initially thought he was going to be on the fourth line. But I, the more you kind of kick around line projections and Jimmy VC kind of throws a wrench into that, but the more you kind of look at that, I, he could be on the third yeah. line. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think it's just another uh, one of those moves that it's, it's about the, the mix and the different kind of elements that you have sprinkled throughout the lineup. Like you, you uh, were talking about Naz. He was the fire starter for this team. What? He's definitely He's missed. missed, and he was missed. Those elements yeah. that you're talking about, like in this age of statistics and trying to quantify everything, some of those things aren't easy to quantify. And, and yeah, a guy like Wayne Simmons, he, he's he's such an imposing presence out there on the ice, and he's the kind of guy that can can make a whole locker room, a whole lineup feel bigger, play bigger. You know, it, yeah. it, you have that um, a guy. Well, you saw a cap at Kapanen. Yeah, Clifford absolutely, came absolutely. It was the same idea, yeah, it, right? and perhaps it was a coincidence. But I mean, I don't think it was. You that kind of thing is contagious. It'll make its way through a lineup when you have guys who are laying it all on the line like that. You know, like it's a different mentality to be going out there and throwing your body at the opposition shift after shift and. I don't ever expect that to be the case with, you know, Nylander or Marner or like even Matthews, though he's shown some growth in the physical part of his game. Uh, I, I do expect that to continue, but it's, it's just uh, having some of that dog mentality and being willing to push back and not being so easily deflated. And it, it, there's moments in games where, We've seen it. The pucks aren't going in. The, the Leafs could be generating chances all night long. They're getting goalied or they're, they're just not finishing. Yeah. And, and they lag. And they, they don't have a way to get that momentum back and reestablish control of the game when when the pucks aren't going in. And that, that's where I think Naz was really missed. Like I said, he was that fire starter. He'd go out and 
just piss someone off. Yeah, just yap at somebody. Whether he was hitting them or poking at them with his stick or just talking shit to them. We have lacked that in this group. And I think a guy like Simmons will certainly add to that. And I I think it could, you know, uh, it could have an impact on the younger players in this lineup, just their general attitude and their general demeanor and just maybe a different kind of swagger than we've seen them have to this point. Yeah. And I don't know if, if it's like, why this would be the case because they definitely seem like big personalities some of the guys on the team but i know like on i heard on tsn radio like ray ferraro is not a a guy that's gonna run with lazy shitty narratives and just and and you know he's a pretty respectable voice and he had he has said that the leafs bench is the quietest bench he's ever been around yeah. yeah. So why is that, right? Like, I, I don't, you know, Matthews has got all kinds of, like, swagger. I hate that word, but whatever. Like, he's he's got all that, but he's not a guy that's going to mouth off. He's he's not a guy that's going to, when when there's somebody skating by, that he's going to fucking squirt water at or something like that. Like, they don't have that element. Yeah. And that's Wayne Simmons. Yeah, and I think even a guy like Thornton, and will, Thornton yeah. will add, yeah. it, like, he's not, like, your uh, traditional agitating player or whatever, but he's definitely not one to back down from it either. No. Uh, it, like we watched him like knock a goalie out cold last year, basically, <laughs> you know, like give me some of that. Like, I, I don't even care anymore. I just want to be able to watch this team and be excited about something, be fired up about some kind of foolishness. Like we, at, at least oh, when the, the, the Leafs sucked before we watched Colt Nor beat the crap <laughs> yeah. out of someone. Yeah. What was that guy in Ottawa that he beat up like six times? Karkner. Oh, man. Yeah. Matt Karkner? <laughs> yeah. That Matt, oh, God, that poor soul. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, there's, you know, you, you talked about it earlier. There's something to be said, I think. Um, you know, it's it's one thing to build a team that is the team that can skate around you and the team that can, you know, just uh, damage you when you're you put them on the power play too often. But... You know, that doesn't hold up so much when you're in a game and it's, you know, it's a 60 minute game. You're halfway through. You cannot find the handle. You can't, you know, find the back of the net and you are getting bullied. And it's almost like there's going to be a lot of amateur psychology going on in the show. Let's be honest. But (laughs) it feels like that's a situation where you disengage right as a player. It's like no no one's going to we've got no one who can play this style and I'm certainly not someone to drag them into the fight is what it's about. I think like yeah, I I said you don't need 10 guys who do that. You just need a few to set the tone, right? Yeah, just someone to flip that switch and turn momentum in the, the other direction. Like uh, Keith referenced that that shift by Naz in Washington. Like that was just a thing of beauty. He just threw his yeah. body around That's... for 35 seconds. The crowd was going crazy, and we saw Matthews finish it off with with a awesome goal in a big playoff game. Like. We don't have, or prior to these moves, we didn't have any element of that on this roster. Like Kapanen showed flashes of it, like you said last year. After, especially, yeah, he kind of looked like he might have. And that, uh, he was such a really... disappointment in the playoffs. I mean, the, the team as a whole was invisible. Yeah, he's just not there. Didn't give them any of that at all. And I, I think where he's a guy that if, if the pucks aren't going in, I would have expected him in the playoffs to do that. Yeah. 
just just based on showing flashes of it in the past and maybe you know or somebody like uh you know the coaching staff talking to him and being like hey naz isn't here anymore yeah this is your role now and and yeah there, there was nothing from him in the playoffs yeah, this is a team I, I just feel like I'm more excited to watch next yeah. year. Like, it, you know, Absolutely. it's, it, it's yeah. been great. The, all the skill, like it's obviously a, a much, you know, a very welcome change from what we've seen like prior to four or five years ago. But, um, you know, th- there is something to be said for just having a having a team that can do it all, you know, all over the ice. Yeah, and, and it's uh, not as it, as it feels like we're a lot closer to that now. It's not as if they're totally bereft of skill all of a sudden, like. There's still some pretty good oh. players on this team. Did you just say bereft? That's a great word. I, I don't. I don't even know if I used it right. <laughs> no, you totally. I just you googled, I googled it. Man, and that was <laughs> fucking fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, looking pretty solid on these additions, I, I feel like you know we're all pretty pleased. I don't with the think moves. he could have had um, a better. I, I mean, unless you get Petrangelo or like some crazy trade for like Ekblad or something working in the confines of the offseason i don't think he like i don't know what kind of what grade are you giving kyle dubas it's got to be at least an a for me i I agree with you 100 percent. given what he had to work with i mean and and we've seen the the difficulty some other teams have had offloading salary like the return he got on kapanen by getting out in front of that market was just a stroke of genius i guess and, and to even be able to get out of the Janssen contract and not retain any salary after Janssen missed most of last season and was rather disappointing when he was in the lineup you know they still got an asset f- for Janssen and joey anderson a guy who you know like we were talking about he might be another one of those more a, a guy that can bring some energy and stability to to the lineup when when things aren't uh, going the, the way that the the skilled offensive players are, would like. Yeah, I, I think um, I, you know that it almost hinges on that trade for me. Like, obviously, you go back to the Kapanen one, and that was that was brilliant. But um, the the Onsen one, I wonder about. I. I do still think that you know he could be a pretty solid player but ultimately like you know he's a skilled winger the team is loaded up on them and if if Anderson you know pans out at all then yeah absolutely like nothing you can say about really anything he's done this offseason um and you know ultimately the the salary dump is what that was about you don't want to be salary dumping a, a guy you know who's still got some potential or whatever but uh, you know you get a young guy back who can play you know a bit of a different game bring a different element and you get out from under a contract that you know helps you make other moves i think that's a solid uh, offseason all around for glasses man <laughs> yeah i think i think there's that's even something to be said about the roster construction of the team right now i know it's top heavy i know there's big contracts on it but if your salary dump is andreas jansen he's Absolutely. a pretty good player like there that just means there's not that many bad contracts on the team mitch Marner notwithstanding yeah and even that like m- despite his contract it's mitch still mitch is, Marner. he's still gonna still, score 90 points like he, you know yeah i mean you could do worse for for, for overpaying players player. yeah absolutely there's not a ton of unmovable contracts on this team, I wouldn't think. And we just saw evidence of that. And let's not kid ourselves. They were absolutely selling very low on Andreas Janssen. That's kind of the one part of the trade that sort of bummed me out a little bit because I was a big Janssen fan and we definitely saw flashes of him being a top six. 
Sorry. <laughs> is that Willow? Yeah, that's Willow. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect addition. We got a dog in the pot. We can edit that out, right? <laughs> oh, no, that's going. <laughs> Um, but, uh, we're, we're, uh, we'll wrap up our, our roster chat here just on, uh, kind of one of the next four sure pieces of news we know we're going to get, which is, uh, Ilya Mikheyev, who has a, uh, an arbitration coming up, uh, tomorrow as of, uh, we're recording this Tuesday night. Um, so, uh, we will, uh, have, you know, probably a settlement in the morning before I can get this, uh, pod sent out um in all likelihood now that we're talking about it uh the ask from the mckayev camp uh one year 2.7 million uh leafs countered with two years one million um is it going to be right down the middle like it usually is with arbitration or will it lean one way or the other um it's it's such an interesting case to me because like it doesn't seem like there's any benefit to be had for Mikheyev going to arbitration with such a, a small sample size. But I was joking with Keith before, like we had this unprecedented restricted free agent contract to, to Mitch Marner that, you know, reset the market, so to speak. And, you know, there, there, had, there was no precedent for it. And now we've got a, a guy like Mikheyev going in and there isn't really a precedent for, his arbitration case either with such a small sample size and given his age and the fact that he did play well and produce pretty well in those 39 games it would just be all too fitting for the Leafs and how things have gone for Kyle Dubas if there was a precedent setting arbitration award for Mikheyev yeah I, I I I hope to God that doesn't happen but I mean like I don't know what kind of arguments he really had because I, I said the same thing when I saw it come out, you know, I think I, we were in the group chat and I was like, I, you know, the the inclination when you see a player going to arbitration is to you naturally think it's a bad thing or, or some sort of like conflict or whatever. It's a normal thing. It happens all the time. Yeah. But I think I, my first thought was, well, why? Like, he doesn't have a case. Like, he like he played well. And, and I mean, he I'm sure they could argue that he went to an offensive juggernaut team and immediately established, established himself alongside of John Tavares. And like, there's some like fluffy shit that could go with that, but there's just no sample size to go off of it. I don't, I think I always had him kind of in those, those like armchair GM mock-ups. I think I've always kind of put him in around one and a half. Um, yeah, I don't know what that means term wise, if that's a one year deal or a two year deal, but I, that's that's kind of where I have. Yeah, I could see something around, you know, either one or two years at one and a half. You know, it, what, what was Engvall? Two years at 1.25? 1.25, I think, yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I feel like, um, you know, maybe if it's a one year, it's something around that. It's, it's like you say, it's a hard, hard one to figure out based on all the different factors, you know, the, the small amount of playing time. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of role he has. It just—it feels like the Leafs have like thirty guys who are you know potential uh, you know third or fourth line wingers yeah. right now. So we'll <laughs> they don't have that many. They don't have that many top six left wingers, and that's I no. think where he's kind of like the incumbent or whatever. But I mean, yeah, talking about Engvall, I'm shocked he's still on the team. 
to be honest. Like, okay, I thought, wait, wait, wait. We're getting some breaking news here for from our uh, oh shit, this actually correspondent. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Ilya McKayev no has agreed way. to a two-year contract <laughs> extension with the Toronto Maple Leafs for one point six four five million per year. That is a great deal for the Leafs. That's hilarious. So, just as some background on that, we one of our our buddies who's in the group chat. Tyson, who will make appearances on this show, um, <laughs> you'll certainly get to know. You'll get Tyson, to know T, and, and he messaged beforehand saying, "You know, if anything breaks, I'll, I'll let you guys know while you're recording." And I was thinking, like, what the fuck's gonna break? That's hilarious. That, how <laughs> <laughs> boy T. There we go. Your first taste of breaking news <laughs> in the broadcast world it happens that quickly. Um, so, what was it? One point six four five? Did you say? 1.645 per year for two years. Okay. Well, it's it's a good bit of business. I think, you know, you. I feel like two years, that's the term you wanted to get. Yeah. Unless it was going to be too pricey. And I don't think that's too pricey. I also think that helps if you have to move them too. Like you, a team knows they have them for another year. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, like it, it's going to be pretty difficult for like McKayev's very likely to outperform yeah. that that cap hit and provide some excess value. And, and that's a thing that the Leafs maybe didn't get last year. Like People outperforming their contracts. Yeah, well, we went into... Uh, I, there was a lot of talk last summer when the Janssen and Kapanen deals were signed where everyone was saying how great those contracts were. I never really bought into that. I, I thought they were fine. I didn't think they were bad by any means. But like we saw last year, there was no excess value provided by those contracts on the, on the Leafs' uh, roster so i think my initial reaction to the, to this mikhaev um signing is that he's got a much better chance of uh outperforming that cap hit and providing some excess value for the leafs on that contract in the next two seasons that's a good way to put it i, I don't think that that's gonna hurt you i don't think that that's a even if he does even if he does put up 40 points or 35 points like that's still probably an all right value for 1.6 whatever yeah yeah and, there's and no there's no great, great penalty killer too so i mean even if the offense totally dries up for mikhaev and you've got him playing third line as more of a defensive presence he's going to provide value on the penalty kill and, and at that uh, that cap hit I, i'm totally I, fine with I that i can't wait to tell leo about this he was giving me shit about mikhaev was going to walk and didn't want to be in Toronto anymore just because that's what he does. He, he likes to poke, poke, poke the bear and push buttons. But I told him the story about how he, he went to the hospital room with him and he, oh, yeah. that, that make that drives Leo nuts because he, he doesn't like Dubas not for any other reason than he thinks he's like too polished and he's like, he's too, <laughs> like too perfect. And he's like, everything he does is out of a management textbook or something. But yeah, I, I that'll be fun to sprinkle onto him later. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, he, he's going to be a real X factor, I think, in that forward group, because um, he could, like you said, Keith, you know, he could jump into that top six where a lot of those other guys who've been signed or who have been kind of working their way up are just not quite, um, don't don't think they have, I don't think have that ceiling. So yeah, Nick, like as much as we all like Nick, Nick Robertson, I don't think he's ready to take that spot yet and there's just doesn't look to be a spot for him right now yeah that could be a whole other segment on another episode yeah yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll get to nick robertson and all the the lineup construction in the coming weeks here okay fellas we were almost uh, to the end of episode number one 
of lamenting the Leafs. But, uh, you know, we want to talk about more than just the uh, the Leafs and the NHL. Uh, we also want to try to talk about the only pro team based in Atlantic Canada, where we are, uh, the Newfoundland Growlers, which, of course, is a Leafs affiliate in the ECHL. And uh, ECHL actually just announced that their uh, new season will begin in December, uh, December 11th. And it's a strange format. They've got a split season format with a number of the teams starting a 72-game season in December, and then the rest starting in January. Uh, Newfoundland looks like there'll be a January start, but of course, lots still to be figured out uh, with COVID-19 still a big problem, especially in the States right now. Um, The Growlers also put out a pretty slick uh, jersey, like a Maple Leafs edition jersey, that I just so happened to uh, throw down some money and get like uh, one of, I don't even know, it was like a hundred and some that they made. It was a limited edition and I just, I had to jump on it. But uh, what did you guys think of those threads? I thought it's uh, it's a little plain, but I do like the look. It's kind of got like that Nova Scotia look. We've seen the uh, the battle of Nova Scotia between the Halifax Mooseheads and the Cape Breton Eagles where they wear special uniforms for the occasion kind of reminds me of that so I, I like it for those reasons and uh, but yeah I like the, the ties to the Leafs I like the blue and gold um, I wish they would have went diagonal now that I'm seeing those, yeah. now that I'm seeing those uh, those Pittsburgh leaked uh, vintage or whatever um, the reverse retro the reverse retro the yeah the lettering I, I love the diagonal yeah, I like Pittsburgh I think the Rangers have it um, that yeah. that diagonal font would have been my only critique on it i think but other than that i, I love that blue and blue and gold together yeah it reminds me a little bit of the saint pats too in a way yeah saint pats jerseys yeah. And uh, something else that we want to touch on is, uh, you know, we want to talk about hockey and uh, women's hockey is included in that, of course. And uh, uh, NWHL has announced some uh, some interesting changes moving forward uh, for the structure of their league. And, you know, I'm just going to be completely honest. I don't think either of the three of us has a ton of NWHL knowledge, but uh, we do know, of course, that they've announced the Toronto Six will play the uh, the coming season um, when the drops in the new year so we'll certainly be keeping tabs on them and uh, another thing that I know I'm going to be keeping an eye on is the World Women's Hockey Championship which was scheduled for this past spring in Nova Scotia got scrapped because of COVID uh, but has been rescheduled for Halifax and Truro in April uh, same situation almost with the Growlers they've got a few extra months to play with um, but hopefully that can still go forward uh, you know it's probably going to mean that the Atlantic bubble has popped and uh, there isn't a lot of love I don't think for that idea right now on the east coast understandably no, no. But, uh, we'll see where where that goes and uh, I know that I'll be there if uh, if it does go ahead they're you know doing some um, capacity for uh, Q League right now with the Mooseheads so presumably it'll be the same thing for the world women's and and I'd be all over that and I don't know about you guys but uh, uh, that would be a ton of fun yeah we had a we had a carload all ready to go from from New Brunswick of some of the some of my buddies that were gonna make the trip up for that um I was looking forward to it it's a shame obviously that it got canceled along with everything else but that was that was something that uh the wheels were in motion for already so I'll definitely be there uh assuming there's attendees and all that yeah I'm I'm excited about the prospect of it because uh, I mean it's almost a a bit of a blessing in my case that it, it got pushed a year um my daughter is a year older now and would probably be more 
interested and understanding what's going on because uh, I'm definitely looking forward to uh, when that tournament does take place here. Uh, having my girls there to to see some high level women's hockey and that's just a perfect segue nick just <laughs> the broadcast chops on you already by uh, <laughs> zoe's birthday is today yeah my little girl turned three my oldest uh, daughter turned three years old today so you had a party over the weekend and i know that there was a big uh surprise that you had been planning tell us about that and the reaction <laughs> yeah well uh, it would come as no surprise to anybody who knows me. Um, I took the plunge to uh, get my daughter involved in hockey. She got her first pair of skates and her first helmet. And uh, Nanny and Pops bought her first hockey stick and a pair of gloves. She was almost as excited as I was about the whole thing, which is, which is a lot. So, um, yeah, she's... I guess she didn't really have much choice, but I've definitely influenced her into a love of hockey early in her life. It was a few weeks back. I was, I was reading a story to her at bedtime and I could tell she wasn't really paying attention to me. Like she was just kind of off in her own world. And she interrupted me and says, dad, I wish I could play hockey. Well, say no more, darling. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm really looking forward to getting her out on the ice this year. She, she's young, but uh, she's already showing an interest in it, and uh, that's really exciting for me. Yeah, she loves it. Um, now, I, the the helmet was pink, right? What was the reaction to that? Because she was like, I was over there back at the end of the summer, and she was adamant the helmet had to be pink. So was that was there like extra excitement for that or what? Oh, yeah. No, the uh, her little voice got even more high-pitched than, uh, than it normally is, and she was screaming, and... Yeah, it was just she was a little ball of excitement over the whole thing, and uh, yeah, it hasn't really subsided uh, every day since her and I have spent, you know, fifteen to twenty minutes passing a puck back and forth across the kitchen floor here. So yeah, she she genuinely enjoys it, and uh, I think that's my favorite part of the whole thing is it's not just. I'm not totally forcing her into something that she she isn't interested in. She's shown that she, she, it is something that she she uh, has fun with. Does she have the skate guards just walking around the house in her skates the whole time? No, um, I w- <laughs> I would put her skates on her the the other day um, after her birthday party just to get her to try them on and get get the feel of them. Cause get get feel I, I'm the sure ankles. you have a little girl too. I'm sure you know um, they aren't always super cooperative about trying new things or putting new articles of clothing on. <laughs> so uh, trying to I, I'm trying to explain to my daughter right now that. Um, it is going to take a while to learn how to skate. It's it, she's going to fall down. She's going to, you know, all those things. I'm trying to pre- uh, prepare her so that uh, she sticks with it and doesn't get uh, easily discouraged. It's a good, good, good call. That's some fatherly foresight right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. No, we uh, we look forward to what would it be the uh, uh, 2035 NWHL draft. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well f- fingers crossed small steps to get there <laughs> absolutely uh, that's awesome um, that, that I think does it for uh, episode one of lamenting the Leafs good hustle fellas uh, no this was a lot of fun I'm, I'm so glad that we, we finally got to do this yeah. uh, we, we don't get together in person very often but when we do it's it's always uh, a 
blast. So I'm looking forward to this being a regular thing and getting to uh, chat and catch up with you guys uh, more often. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad that we uh, we finally put the plan in motion after many, many, many kind of iterations and ideas and, and kind of kicking the concept around for a while. Glad we just kind of bit the bullet and did it. This is fun. Yeah, lots of fun, man. Yeah, this is this is going to be a blast. Uh, really excited to have it off the ground. Um, you know, I've got a bit of a, a, a background in broadcast, if uh, you couldn't tell, and uh, thus have to end it on some music. And we're going to try to feature some uh, some of the great talent that Atlantic Canada has to offer. Um, you know, Keith, Keith's a musician. I've been, you know, involved in radio. Nick's, uh, you know, been involved in the music, uh, the live music business over the years as well. So, uh, you know, music's, I think, a big part of all of our lives. And uh, we've got a ton of uh, excellent stuff and excellent artists here in Atlantic Canada. And and uh, our theme song is what we'll end on for episode one. Uh, you'll hear this to open the show moving forward, but uh, we'll hear from some other artists uh, uh, episode to episode. But uh, the track you'll hear the most is our theme. It's called Sundine. And it's by Halifax Group West Ave. They are uh, originally from Sackville, New Brunswick, uh, making their home in Nova Scotia these days. This has been Lamenting the Leafs, Episode 1. We will catch you next time.